Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to look at something this morning in terms of the Lord. We're looking at Jesus, the hero of history, and I, I tell you, we're just kind of taking the Gospels, and I'm just taking some pieces out of it. We look, we've looked at the power of Christ in the miracles that he, that he was able to accomplish because of who he is. Jesus is no ordinary man. And I think when we look back in uh, history and we look at the life of Christ, we can see that in many different ways. Uh, we recognize that the Lord is unique. There's no one that's ever been like him. There's no one that will ever be like him. He is on a class by himself. And I think the, the great comfort for us is, is that when we look at the life of Christ, we recognize that he is God. He's God in the flesh. He's walking on this earth. He's walking in such a way to reveal who the Father really is. Because without that, we would never know the Father. We would never have a full understanding. We may be able to look at nature, and we may be able to recognize that there's a God and all those kind of different things, but the reality of the truth of who he is in all of his truth and grace, uh, um, apart from Christ coming here and apart from him walking on this earth, we would not know. The Holy Spirit works in our lives in order to bring us to that, in order to convict us. Uh, and at the same time, in the midst of it, we have an opportunity as believers to recognize uh, what God is able to do alone and how he now lives within us in order then to transform us and by doing that to reveal himself through us into this world. Jesus is no ordinary man and one of the ways that you can see this is through the authenticity of his life message, his life message. What he said matched his life. Does that follow? When he said something with authority, there was a life backing it up. When he claimed to be God, equal to the Father, there was a life that backed it up. You could observe the life of Christ. You could see what he did. You could watch how he related with people. You could watch all the different factors of his life on this earth, and you began to realize that he's no ordinary man. And so when he said something, he said it with authority. He didn't say it like the scribes. He didn't talk about it like people who were just giving off rote, memorized stuff. He was saying it because he's the son of God, and it came from the very core of who he is. I want to just kind of walk through what his message really is, and I, I think there's three ways that you can look at this, and I'm sure there's other angles that you can take on it. This is how the Lord led me. Well, first of all, repentance. He, he was always talking about repentance, and I would suggest to you that repentance really is a pathway to belief. We'll walk through that. Belief, the assurance of eternal life. Boy, this is so, what a beautiful promise God has given to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and that the word of God is unequivocal that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, right? And lastly, discipleship. <laughs> That's, a, in a lot of ways, this is the hard one, right? The call to follow, the call to follow. Are we walking in the way that we should be? Are we walking completely yielded, surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? And the Lord has a lot to say about that in terms of disciples and discipleship and his call to each and every one of us as believers to follow him. Why the miracles? 
Why the supernatural birth, the fulfillment of prophecy, or why did he come to this earth? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he have a public ministry? I think one of the things that we've got to realize is everything the Lord did, he did for our benefit. He didn't do it for himself. He was simply following the Father. In fact, it makes it very clear that everything he did, he never did it out of his own initiative. He didn't even say things out of his own initiative. He has a perfect relationship with the Father. He was empowered by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of his walk, everything he did was for us to understand that he is unique, that he's the Son of God, that he is the perfect spotless lamb that is able to pay for our sin. So everything he does in the Gospels, in his life here, is for us to recognize the truth and the reality of who he really is. John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says this, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Boy, I love that statement. He says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That word realized literally means came to be. It's not that truth and grace weren't there before. We can see that all through the Old Testament. We can see grace and truth through every age. But in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a unique manifestation of grace and truth to humanity that has never before been seen. We get to see something about our Heavenly Father. We get to see something about God that the person of the Lord Jesus Christ makes manifest. I like how the Grace New Testament commentary, what they say about this, the expression grace for grace means that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love this word, is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. David talked about being tired. David talked about you going through something. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be reminded of a little child in a father's arms. Right? Is the grace of Christ sufficient for whatever it is that you may be facing and going through. Absolutely. Can you exhaust the grace of Christ? Absolutely not. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the grace of God to each and every one of us, and he is divine, he is eternal, and it never tasks him. It never depletes his ability in order to give us the grace that is necessary to walk through whatever circumstances that have been filtered through his hands for our benefit. Man, grace upon grace. The new birth and the Christian life are impossible apart from God's grace. Did you catch that? The new birth and the Christian life are impossible apart from God's grace. God doesn't save us in order to wind us up and then let us go as believers and give us a whole bunch of laws in order to follow. Hey, you go love one another. Now let's see how Eric does. (laughs) No, he comes to live within us because apart from him and his power and his strength, there's no way any of us can walk the Christian life. The whole of the Christian life from start to finish is the reception of God's marvelous grace in Jesus Christ. Man. So first, repentance. A pathway to belief. The Lord spent a lot of time speaking to people. One of the things that he would tell them is repent. Repent. 
And what does repentance mean? What does that what does actually uh, indicate? The word itself, repent, means to change the mind. Change the mind. So when we talk about changing the mind, when we begin to look at something that God is revealing to us, in effect, it places somebody on a path where belief then becomes the door to enter into a saving grace relationship with the Lord. And, and at times, repentance and the idea of salvation and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ can certainly be used as a synonym of belief. But fundamentally, repentance is change the mind. It is not turn away from sin. That's a whole different word. And folks, that's been confusing to a whole lot of people. When we talk about being saved, what we're talking about is changing the mind about the reality of my need of the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. I didn't think that I need him. Now God's revealing to him, to me, that I do need him. And as a result, I have an opportunity to repent, to change my mind about what I used to believe and or now what I do believe. And at that moment, I'm invited by the Lord himself to believe on him alone for salvation. Repentance was commanded often of the Jewish people in the synoptic gospels. Remember, this is a transitional period of time. This is to the covenant people of Israel. And we've got to be real careful how we handle the gospels. All of them. Not just Matthew, Mark, and Luke in terms of the synoptic gospels, but also the gospel of John. Because the Lord and his message was primarily to the Jewish people who were in covenant with God. And so there's a lot of language, there's a lot of things that are said that are certainly, by implication, applicable to each and every one of us as believers. But we've got to be careful to look at what the Lord said, to whom he said it, and why. What's the context of it? The Lord spent a lot of time telling people of Israel to repent, to change their minds. About what? Well, I would suggest to you several things. First of all, that the law was sufficient for salvation. They had been given the law. And, and for whatever reasons, they thought, hey, this is the stepping stone. We, we're good enough in order to actually keep the law. Therefore, we're saved. You catch it? The law wasn't given as a stepladder in order to climb, in order to get to heaven so that one day when you come before the pearly gates, you can say, look at all my good works. <laughs> look how good I've been. I know there's a few bad things, but look at all the good. That's not why the law was given. The law was given to reveal the need for the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless lamb of God. The law was given to show us that there's no way we could ever achieve in and of our own strength the righteous standard of God. So they needed to repent of that. They needed to have their minds changed with regard to how they viewed the law. Secondly, they needed to have their minds changed about their birthright. Well, I'm Jewish, therefore I'm automatically in. I'm Abraham's child. Look at my lineage. <laughs> and the Lord and John the Baptist and all the apostles had to deal with this. No, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And it doesn't matter what age you're talking about, whether it's the Old Testament who looked forward to the coming of Christ or whether it was New Testament believers once Jesus Christ had gone to the cross, shed his blood, and then had been risen from the dead. And now we have the opportunity of looking back 
And as soon as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who is a seal, a promise of our salvation. They needed their minds changed when it came to how to get saved, whether it was because of the law or whether it was because of their heritage. Salvation was not by works nor by race, but rather by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's been the case no matter what age of human history that you want to talk about. Belief clearly is the dominant message of the Lord. In and of themselves, they could not meet the righteous standard of the law. They were in sin, and they needed forgiveness, even though they were the covenanted people of God. They needed to have cleansing. And the only way that that could be accomplished was not by sacrificing more bulls, not by sacrificing more animals, but rather for the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this earth in order to go to the cross so that when he shed his blood, the payment was made once and for all. They needed to repent. They needed a Savior. They needed to have their minds changed about how to enter into eternal Life. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or Matthew 4, 17, he says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind. Look at what's going on. Look at the reality of this situation. You're wrong. Change your mind. Adjust it to what God is revealing. Or in Mark 1, 15, where he says, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news, obviously, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the lamb, that through him and him alone is salvation. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, he says, he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They needed to have their minds changed with regard to what it means to be saved. They needed to understand, how can my sin be forgiven? It wasn't through works. It's not through what I do. But it's rather through how the Father has provided the Lamb so that I might be saved. I love Luke chapter 5, verse 32, where he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. Boy, they had a spiritual pride. They thought they had already arrived, and they needed their minds changed because they needed the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Again, quoting from the Grace New Testament commentary says the Mosaic law was never a means of obtaining eternal life. John corrects this misperception in all his references to the law in the book. People obtained eternal life in the Old Testament the same way people do in the New Testament era, by grace through faith. They looked ahead to the coming Messiah and believed in him for eternal life. There was grace and truth during the time of Moses, but Jesus uniquely and fully embodied grace and truth. What a beautiful picture. So the call for repentance is a call to change the mind, to understand what God has been doing all through the ages. And now before them stands one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is able to forgive sin. Wow. So Jesus' message of repentance was really, in effect, a call to himself, a call for people to understand who he is, that he's the unique son of God, 
and that they, as well as we today, are in need of him. The word belief, the idea of persuasion, when we talk about belief, there's a promise attached to, with this of eternal life. When we believe, then the Lord has made a promise. You will be saved. Wow, how beautiful is that? You know, it's amazing to me how many people think they've got to clean their lives up to come to Christ. How many things they've got to commit to the Lord in order to really show that they're very serious about their statement to him that they are in need of him. The reality of it is that we need the Lord. And certainly God reveals to us our sin and certainly there needs to be a change of the mind with regard to what we believe about our sin, what we believe about our ability to be saved and or our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he never lays upon us a burden that he knows we cannot accomplish. The way we turn away from sin is not in and of our own strength. It is in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin reveals to us our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes to live within us and we're given the promise that when we believe we will have eternal life, then God in us begins to do a work that is transformative so that he begins to deal with our sin. What a beautiful picture. Folks, as the people of God, how often have we laid upon unbelievers a burden that they cannot bear? The burden which actually should point them to Christ and the sufficiency of the Lord in the first place. You have sin? Amen. That's why you need Jesus. Because he alone is sufficient to take care of your sin. The promise of eternal life is absolute it is not conditioned upon anything other than believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not conditioned upon whether I clean my life up before or after. It is not based on works. It is not based on my performance. It is based on the word of God, period. Do we believe him? Well, he gives us the opportunity to believe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, 7 says he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world, and he's come so that all might believe in him. He doesn't say some. He says all. Because all who believe are promised. You have eternal life. He doesn't cut out a certain section and say only for you. He says all. Folks, let's make sure we let the Scripture say what the Scripture says. It is a message for all. And all who believe have the opportunity of experiencing God, having their sins forgiven, being indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead, and being saved. All. John 1.12, he says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he clarifies, who is it that's been given the right to become children of God? What does he mean? But as many as received him. He says, even to those who believe in his name. That's a promise from God. We can stand on that. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given the right to become his child. And he is the one that accomplishes that. Amen?
Come on, I'm about to get off of the stage. Let's go, people. Wake up. This is the message of hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Praise God for it. And this is what we've had done for us. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And what a message of hope for this world. Are we walking in it? Are we living in it? Is it a part of every fabric of who we are? Or are we just so dead to the reality of what God has done for us? We have no apparent life. We become stale. And rather than being excited about what God has done for us, that I'm a child of the king, not because of anything that I could do, not because of anything that God has ever expected me to do, because he knows that I can't. He sent his son to the cross in order to die so that I, in believing in him, may have life. Oh, do people need to hear that today or what? We got families being decimated. We got kids all over this place in poverty. We've got hopelessness at an all-time high. We got race problems, etc. I won't go through the trash can. But I'll tell you this the only answer to every social problem that we've got is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I love John 6. Verse 47, he says, truly, truly, you know, when, whenever you see that, truly, truly, the Lord, God himself is saying, you can bank on this and it's absolute. I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Wow, is that great or what? Do you know that we're free in Christ? He doesn't say, he who believes, oh, and if you do everything that I tell you to do for the next X amount of years... Well, then you have eternal life. No. He says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. What a promise. Folks, we don't do what we do because we have to. We don't do what we do because we're under performance. We don't do what we do in order to try to prove the sincerity of what we prayed. We do what we do because of what God has said about who we are in Christ Jesus. We follow him because of what God has done for us. Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. God loves me so much that I'm willing to give him my life because it's the most reasonable service of worship. Folks, is that how we're walking? Is that how we're living our lives? John 20, verse 29, speaking to the disciple Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas? I can't wait to meet Thomas, you know? I mean, bless his heart when he introduces himself to everybody. Yeah, 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 I'm Thomas. <laughs> Can you imagine? You shake his hand and say, thank you, brother, for your transparency and your honesty. Because all the rest of the disciples were thinking the same thing. They just didn't want to say it, right? I love people like that. I love people that just put it on the table and go, oh, man, I don't, I don't get this. And you go, oh, thank the Lord, somebody's being honest. Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. I haven't been able to go to the Lord and, and physically touch his hands or his side. There's a blessing here for us, folks. Even though we haven't seen him, we believe. 
Because we believe the record. We believe the testimony. We believe that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man, that he walked on this earth as the God-man because he is the God-man. How about the raising of Lazarus from the dead? In John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. What a promise. What are we fearful of? I'll never forget Spiro Zodiades. I was studying with him. He, he knows he's forgotten more Greek than I'll ever know. We used to joke around and say, I know a little Greek and his name is Spiros, you know. Some of you remember him. He came here. He's got one of the greatest dictionaries of the, of the language that you can get your hands on. And I would encourage you to do that. But I'll never forget him asking me this question when I was studying with him. He said, why was Paul so bold? Why was Paul so bold? And I'm, man, I'm clicking off on all the, I'm trying to be theological. I'm trying to be profound in all my statements and all, trying to, and, I, and I'm looking at him and he's telling, he could tell him a calf at a new gate with this one. And he looks at me, he goes, because Paul believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that even if he died, he was in glory forevermore. Wow. Praise the Lord. Have you heard the story of the lady? I believe it was in Chicago. And a, a guy came up to, to rob her at gunpoint. He said, give me everything you got. And she put, put his pistol right up to her head. And she looked at him, <laughs> and she says, sudden death, instant glory. Sudden death, instant glory. And the robber was so, he, he, he was like, what? You're a nut? <laughs> and he started running away from her, and she started chasing him down. And she's saying, sudden death, instant glory. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And she led him to Christ right on the street. Think about that. Folks, do we really believe the resurrection? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? Where's the life? Where's the vibrancy? Where's the opportunity to say, Lord, today is your day, and whatever you choose to do in the midst of it, be glorified through my life, whatever that means. Whatever that means. The testimony of Scripture, the Lord spoke to this often. John chapter 5, verses 46 and following, he says, For if you believed Moses, remember they were calling themselves disciples of Moses. You would believe me, for he who wrote about me, meaning Moses wrote about the Lord. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Hey, we're disciples of Moses. He said, well, that's great. Evidently, you don't believe what Moses wrote about me. Because if you did, you would believe in me. Or John chapter 7, verse 38 says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We're promised the Spirit of God in John 7, verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, meaning the Lord spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There was a coming moment, and we see this at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes upon those who were in the upper room. There's a promise. You believe in me. You have been given the right to become children of God through the work of God, not through our work, not through our effort, not through our sincerity, nothing less than the spoken promise of the word of God, which is enough. Well, once somebody's saved, what are we invited into? Folks, we're children of God, that cannot change. 
Jonathan and Holland are my children. It doesn't matter how bad they are. It doesn't matter what they do. They are mine. Now, the fellowship may be broken. There's times where we got to get right. But that doesn't change that they're my children. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved, you are his child. And you may mess up and all of us say amen to that. Because we've tripped and stumbled. Even the apostles said of themselves, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. We know that we've tripped and stumbled. What do we do with it? We agree with God. We confess it. We acknowledge it. And the Lord promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking about getting saved all over again. That's already a done deal. The issue is maybe we, our hands got a little dirty. Maybe our feet got a little dirty and we need the Lord to cleanse us. Discipleship, the call to follow. In Matthew 10, 24, there's a great statement. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. When we are disciples of Christ, when we are truly followers of Christ, the word disciple means to be a willing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't follow the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're willing. And the Lord's always inviting us to join him. And there's a whole lot of things that go with this. Praise God, he lives within us in order to empower us to do the very thing that he demands of us. In John chapter 1, verses 35 and following, we see the initial meeting with some of the disciples, those who became disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they believe in the Lord they're following, a couple of them are following John the Baptist. John the Baptist points out the Lord, says this is the Lamb of God. They immediately begin to follow the Lord. I, I'll tell you this, one of the tests of true discipleship is whether disciples will continue to follow us if we're discipling them, or when it comes time, will we encourage them to keep on keeping on and follow the Lord. So often we build our own kingdoms, folks, and we do it for all kinds of reasons for ourselves. And what we need to do is say, no, 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 this is about the Lord. And John the Baptist role modeled that beautifully. He didn't take power to himself. He said, I must decrease because he must increase. What a beautiful picture for those who are doing discipleship. And all of us ought to be doing it because we're commanded to. They meet the Lord and they begin to realize that he's not just an ordinary man and they begin to believe in him. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 11, after the first miracle where he turns the water into wine, it says this, the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. They got saved, folks. <laughs> They, they came into a, a relationship with the Lord where they recognized that this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. And then the Lord begins to call them and say, follow me. Come on, come on. You know me now. Come on, follow me. I'll make you into fishers of men. He doesn't say, just, uh, I got a great program for you, and here's what you got to do in order to become a fisher of men. Here's the five steps. Here's this. No, no. He says, you come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Maybe the reason evangelism has diminished so much in our day is that we're not following the Lord. 
Because if we were following the Lord, guess what he would do? He would transform us in such a way that through us, he would be manifested. And all of a sudden, we'd begin to find that the glory and the hope that we have in Christ would be exuded through us, manifested through us, and people who don't know the Lord, who don't have hope, would begin to recognize in us something they don't got. And they'd come to us and say, what's this hope that you have in you? And at that moment, we'd be able to say, oh, let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you how he's working in my life, transforming me, renewing my mind. Let me tell you about the word of God. Let me tell you about the promises of God. The call to follow. In Luke chapter 6, verses 13 and following, you can see this in Matthew 10, Mark chapter 3. It says, when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So these ultimately became the apostles, except for Judas, Judas who had betrayed him. Simon, whom he also called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He, he starts to call them. We know that Judas was false, clearly. He had different motives for following the Lord. That's obvious. What does the Lord tell them? What, what do we have for us in terms of being called into discipleship? Let me give you several things. First of all, we, we need to learn to deny self. Because a believer in Jesus Christ, that's a done deal. Now the question is, are we going to follow him? Are we going to walk with him? And one of the first things the Lord has to teach us is to deny self. And there's all kinds of verses on this. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny self. That means not what I want, not what I think, not my time, not my treasure. None of those things. It means, Lord, I'm, I'm dead to me, and I live for you. What about relationships? How is a discipleship walk with the Lord impact our relationships? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and following, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's talking about believers, folks, because salvation in Christ alone is the requirement. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the requirement for salvation. Now he's talking about believers, and the question is, are we willing to forsake all for Christ? And that even includes the closest, most personal, most absolutely important relationships, humanly speaking, in our lives. Do they pale in comparison to our absolute love and dedication to the Lord? That's the question. What about possessions? Luke 14, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possession. Wow. Where do we want to go with that? Are we willing to literally say, Lord, it's all yours. Do with it what you choose. Clearly, we need to follow him in that. There's wisdom in that. The question is our attitudes in it. Do we understand who owns it all? Or are we going to tell the Lord 
what part is his and what part's ours. Because <laughs> true disciples, mature disciples recognize it's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. You take it and use it for your honor and for your glory. We're told to abide in Christ as disciples. In John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, catch that, who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They were already believers, but now he's challenging them to walk with him in a discipleship context, and he's saying to them, you are truly my disciples if you continue in my word, in my word. How are we continuing, abiding, because that's the word, abiding in the word of God? John 15, 5, he, he deals with this, the abiding of the disciple, of the believer in the word in order that fruit would be produced through them. John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me remains in me. And I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Folks, he's talking about believers, and he's talking about believers making a decision to abide in the Lord, in his word. And it is then that Christ in and through us begins to transform us and change us so that he produces the fruit. You know, David Barton showed a very interesting uh, little picture, if you were here, and he showed the roots, and he talked about it as the philosophy. He talked about the trunk as the institutions and the ways in which things are taking place. And then he talked about the fruit as the blessings of the correct philosophy, of the, the good standards, etc., the, the institutions. And he's talking about America, and he's talking about the government, etc. He's talking about the fruit being what we enjoy, the freedom the blessings. Folks, it's a great picture of the Christian life. If we don't understand who we are in Christ, if we don't understand that apart from him we can do nothing, then how is it that we're walking? What's the framework of our reference in terms of how we're walking with the Lord? And how is it ever going to take place that through us God produces his fruit? Only he can accomplish that. Only he can do that. John 13, verse 35, what are, what are disciples commanded to do? And obviously this is in the power of the Spirit of God. He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. So what's he saying? Come up with a program, folks. <laughs> Let's have a potluck. Let's have some chocolate cake. And boy, we're going to love one another. No, no, no. What he's saying is you die to self. You learn to walk with me, and I will begin to transform you. And I'll produce something in you that you can't produce. I'll produce love. And it's through that that people will realize that I live in you, that you truly are followers of me. And I can't leave this out because this is a command unequivocal for all of us. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What's the command? Is it to go? No, it's to make disciples. As you're going, wherever you are, maybe in your family, maybe at work, maybe God calls you to Uganda or Burma or Romania or wherever else it may be, but wherever the Lord's leading you, as you're going, make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It means leading them to the Lord so that they have a faith walk with him. They have the opportunity to walk as children. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with the promise that they will have eternal life. And then teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Evangelize them and then equip them so that they can in turn begin to evangelize and equip others. Folks, are we walking with the Lord? Jesus is unique. Nobody else like him ever. And you can see it in the authenticity of his message. His life matched what he had to say. And what he had to say was change your mind about who I am in your need of me. Believe in me with the promise that you will have eternal life. And then he says to those who are believers, come, follow me. Are we willing to do that today? Are we willing to walk with the Lord to forsake all and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Whatever you choose to do, whenever you choose to do it, for whatever reason you choose to do it, we just want to follow you. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.